0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk
1: with your host, Robert Land.
0: Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio six ten Sean Bajani. We welcome back NFL draft expert Joe DeLeon, who hosts the Believe and NFL Draft Prospects podcast with Ryan Roberts. Great to have you back, Joe. And please, please tell us who the Panthers and Texans are taking one to because I'm tired of the suspense. Yeah, the suspense is really starting to kill me as well. And
2: I, I one thing I can say with Whoever goes at number one, I I really do believe is going to set shockwaves for those top five picks and who might potentially trade up to that three spot. How everything is going to shape out is going to depend on what the Carolina Panthers do. I firmly believe that the Panthers are leaning Bryce Young right now. I think that Bryce Young is going to be the pick, even though at the beginning of this process, since the trade, there were a lot of signals, a lot of uh, tea leaves that indicated it might be CJ Stroud. We got the whole little bit at at C.J. Stroud's Pro Day where Josh McCown was saying, oh, when you move to Carolina, you'll have to find a court and that kind of stuff. But it it seems like from all the non-up-in-our-face hints that Bryce Young makes the most sense uh, at that number one spot. For that, then, for the Houston Texans, it opens up, I think, an easier door for them because from what I've heard, the Texans weren't that excited by Bryce Young's size. They weren't the biggest fans of the fact that he is undersized and they were a little bit concerned by that. So I really think that it's a battle right now between Will Levis and CJ Stroud, depending on who's available. Um, Big reason why they would like Will Levis is because of the the physical profile he brings to the position. He's built like a linebacker. We all saw how cut up he was in his, uh, after his training pictures that he put out. And then CJ Stroud, we know is the most natural passer in this draft class. So I think either of those guys are going to set up the Texans for potentially a great future at the quarterback position.
1: It's really an interesting breakdown. Um, You know, that was one of the more unique uh, ways that I've heard anybody break those, uh, you know, few quarterbacks down. You know, I, I spent all day talking about this, and I'm intrigued because over the course of the last three days, Um, the reports have really started to heat up. You know, we've Mm -hmm. gone from Bryce Young to C.J. Stroud. Now, Anthony Richardson's in the mix, if you believe anything about the Tony Pauline report uh, from last Friday where, hey, Richardson's a right guy and in-house, it seems to be Stroud with the Carolina Panthers, but Vegas and everybody else is saying Bryce Young, and then you just pointed out the Josh Mm -hmm. McCown, (laughs) you know, audio. Uh, So it's really interesting. I got a question for you, Joe. You know, as you look at these quarterbacks— like really just on surface level, you know, what we saw from them in college, but then to, you know, what Bobby Slowick or or Frank Reich or, Mm -hmm. you know, these other offensive coordinators demand with the system that they're going to run. Is Bryce Young the best fit for Frank Reich in Carolina? Is C.J. Stroud a really good fit for the Houston Texans if, in fact, the draft breaks like we think?
2: I I look less at the systematic fit and more so what makes Bryce the best for the Carolina Panthers and I think is more situational than it is, is scheme fit. Mm-hmm. I think that if they're smart enough, they're looking at the roster right now and they're saying, we've got a lot of really good young pieces on defense. We've got an underrated offensive line that maybe if we draft the guy in the second round, like an Osiris Torrance, we can have a really good group. There's a lot of positive pieces to that. Panthers roster playing in the worst division in football. There isn't a reason why that team can't pull a Jacksonville Jaguars and be in the playoffs and be competitive in the playoffs by next season, not in 2023, but by 2024. And I think that Bryce is the most ready to play right now. That's why situationally I think it makes the most sense. I think that's the sentiment for them is that they're in this spot where they want to be ready to go. They don't want to have to wait for somebody to come along. And it's not that CJ Stroud can't come along as quickly as Bryce. It's just that Bryce is the most ready to play right now. He has been the best decision maker by far in this class. It is elite the, the, how quickly he evaluates things and, and then also makes the right decisions. That's, again, for me, is a big reason why I have him higher and why I think he makes the most sense. For Stroud, though, for the Texans, it's a completely different circumstance. Um, They're a few steps behind. They're playing in a division that is probably going to be um, tough to beat, and there's a a Jacksonville Jaguars team at the top of the division that is going to be the very hard, young, explosive team for them to have to catch up to. So for a team that's got a lot more roster holes, I look at C.J. Stroud, and I think very natural thrower of the football. But he's coming from an offense that a lot of that doesn't translate to the next level. It's a lot of one read and go, and we saw a lot of issues with CJ that when that first read didn't open up, he was indecisive. He held the ball too long. He made wrong decisions. He took sacks, and I think for a player like that, that fits a little better for the Texans where if the team's bad. Let him go through the motions. Let him deal with the issues. Let him learn on the job, and then eventually he's, he'll be caught up in maybe two or three years, and he'll be playing at that high level that many people expect him to be able to get to.
0: Assuming they've drafted a quarterback with the first pick, who will be the best options for the Texans, Joe, at the 12 pick? And I'm talking about probably pass rusher or wide receiver in that position because it looks like that's where their needs are.
2: Admittedly, to address the wide receiver point, I'd wait until the second round to address wide receiver. I think this receiver class is decent. It's not anywhere near as good as what we've seen in the past. I don't think that there is an alpha dog in the group. I don't think there is somebody – worthy of them selecting as high as 12. There are going to be a lot of really good players on day two that they can take that are going to be great secondary and tertiary options to, to pay attention to in the second round. But at that 12 spot, I'm going to be paying close attention to guys like Will McDonald from Iowa state. You mentioned that edge position being really critical. And there's a lot of good players that are going to fit in that spot from this edge class. I look at miles Murphy from Clemson who might still be on the board. Uh, I look at Lucas van Ness from Iowa, who, maybe slides a little bit and is still on the board. I don't think Tyree Wilson's going to be there. I think he's going to go really early. There's a lot of buzz for him right now because of his physical profile, but any of those edge prospects are going to be available. Maybe they want to address corner guys like Joey Porter, Jr. Christian Gonzalez could be um, out there and on the table for them to select that spot. If they wanted to bolster the offensive line, there's a lot of really good tackles like Darnell, right? Very good football player. Um, I think that their best direction is for them to maybe go edge at that spot, as you've mentioned, because there's just so many great names.
1: You know, we we talk a lot about the number two pick, and I think sometimes we forget about the 12th pick. That's why I appreciated the question from Robert there. If, in fact, um, Bryce Young selected number one, is there a scenario that you see where the Texans do trade back from number two, or is there a scenario that you see if they do get their quarterback at the number two spot, or even Will Anderson, let's just say, they trade back from the 12?
2: I actually would argue that trading back from the 12 could be very advantageous for them. Uh, Any of these teams that have these extra picks, I think you should always leave the phone lines open for anyone to move up. And that is actually a really advantageous spot to be at 12 because if somebody really likes Hendon Hooker, and they want to rush up and, and go get him, and they don't want to wait until the 20s to take him, I think that they could really take advantage of like maybe a team like the Buccaneers with the Washington Commanders that need a little bit of a boost in their quarterback room to come up and get Hendon Hooker. I don't think they should trade out of two, though. I really believe that it is, it's a lot more rare than I think a lot of people anticipate to be picking in this spot and to be at number two where – you get to pick whatever quarterback you want. And especially the fact that there's no unanimous top quarterback this year. There's a lot of deliberation on who could be the best quarterback in the class. So very likely, as I mentioned earlier, they seem to have some preferences on guys with size. If Bryce is off the board, they might still have their number one guy and you can't miss out on that unless somebody offers a ridiculous package, which I don't think will happen. I think you got to stay pat, stick at that spot and,
0: pull the trigger on whichever quarterback you're the most in love with is the is the top guy on your board. I'd be shocked if they don't take a center at some point in this draft, Joe, and I doubt they take a center with the 33rd pick. So I'm guessing they grab one in the third round, either with the 65th pick or the 73rd pick. I'm also guessing they need a more zone scheme center mm. with Slovic's offense. Who do you like in the third round, high third round as a center? Yeah, just a couple names that come to mind. The center class, first
2: of all, has a lot of really good depth, and there's a lot of players that I think can plug in to be high-level starters. I, I think John Michael Schmitz has been a, a big name in this class, and I-, I don't know if he's really up to that first-round billing that some people have painted him as, but still uh, somebody who can step in as a starter could go somewhere in the second or third round. Luke Whipler and Joe Tippman, uh, the two younger guys, Tipman from Wisconsin, Ohio State uh, for Whipler are two to pay attention to in the third round. I also I have Ricky Stromberg ranked as my number one center in this class. I, I think that he is a really smart, experienced player, an older prospect. Um, for whatever reason, I, I had Stromberg on my show, and I, I've also heard feedback from scouts that for some strange reason, the NFL sees him more as a early day three, late day two pick. And I, I think that he might be the Creed Humphrey of this class. If you remember a couple of years ago, Creed Humphrey – out of Oklahoma goes way later than we all thought. And he's one of the best centers in the NFL right now. He is a really good starting player. So I I would pay close attention to Ricky Stromberg. And if I wanted to just throw out a couple of other names that were more day three, uh, Braden Daniels from Utah played left tackle. He's on the leaner side. I think he benefits bumping inside to guard or center. He's something to pay attention to. Uh, And then I would also throw out there Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame, who's an experienced guy, played guard this past season, but primarily played center in his career, and is going to be a best-fitted center at the next level.
1: Sounds like there's really good value at the center position, which makes me excited because, you know, that was kind of leads me to my next question. All right, so quarterback, wide receiver, edge rusher, center. Outside of those four need positions, really must-have positions for the Houston Texans, You know, they've got five picks inside the top 75. That obviously could change as uh, the draft approaches or even on the night of. What is the most pertinent position of need for you outside of those top four?
2: I think think those positions are definitely very critical for the Texans' current situation. I, I think that for a team like them, just adding athletic young defensive players you can't go wrong. I think that as important as edges and that that needs to be addressed early, to focus on just adding corner depth in a class that's got a lot of really good corners, um, guys that can fit specific roles in your secondary at safety. I, I just think that the way that almost, and we were talking about the Panthers earlier, the way that that roster has so many young, talented players. If you remember a couple of drafts ago when they drafted, I think it was exclusively defensive players. You can't go wrong having a lot of depth on defense and they've set their team up for some pretty good, exciting success on the defensive side of the football. So when you're in a position like the Texans, when you've got a couple of nice spots where you've got, you know, Derek Stingley who looks good, you got Jalen Petrie who looks good. Just add as much of a supporting cast as possible with those additional draft picks throughout the draft.
1: Yeah, I One think lesson. about I think about D'Amico Ryan's too, who said he really yeah. likes linebackers. Yeah. And maybe you get another young stud to pair with these couple of veterans that the Texans signed in free agency and Christian Harris.
2: Yeah, and this linebacker class uh has some quality depth as well. And there's there's some players that I really like. I think that a Diane Henley from Washington State is somebody I graded as a third round pick who could fit nicely with this defense for D'Amico Ryan's. He's an older prospect. But a good athlete so that would fit along the lines of what Ryan's likes. I think someone like the Marvin Overshone or Owen Popo a little bit later on but I, I do think that exactly to the point we look at how the 49ers built their roster, they built it by just drafting a lot of key depth pieces that ended up stepping up and like um, for uh, Fred Turner, I' I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking oh, on Fred his- Warner. Fred Warner. Oh my God. I don't know why that's been a long day. Fred Warner wasn't a for early draft pick. He was a third round draft pick out of BYU and he ended up being a really good player. So again, they might get value from a guy like that.
0: I had one last quarterback question because Bryce Young had the highest S2 cognition score. And this was sort of got out there, Joe, Mm -hmm. of this class of quarterbacks and the S2 measures processing. It's become the gold standard for some organizations from what, I've read and among the higher S2 scores in the recent years Mahomes Josh Allen Joe Burrow Brock Purdy even last year had a great one and that was a guy that D'Amico got a chance to look up up close have you heard any rumblings about other QB scores in this class and is this stuff that's going to ever going to get out do you think before we get to the draft Uh, I don't I haven't really heard much about any of the other scores I did
2: see that that leaked information on Bryce Young's score, but it it makes sense why there's importance for that. You want those guys to to test well. And it doesn't surprise me that Bryce was the best tester in that category. Again, my big support for why I love Bryce Young is the rapid decision-making. He does not hesitate and he always knows what he wants to do with the football and finds the best possible uh, scenario to produce yards. And I just, I that makes a lot of sense to me, but no, I have not heard any of the other scores coming out. I I think that, I think that scores like that, especially having it leaked for Bryce, that maybe some other prospects and their agents would be trying to hold it a little closer to their chest. And it actually wouldn't surprise me if if maybe Bryce's agent leaked that just for the sake of uh, having that out there and they're like, hey, we all know how smart Bryce is. Let's start paying attention to it.
0: Well, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. I know you got to run, but we want to catch up with you in a few weeks after the draft and see what you think. But uh, great stuff, NFL Draft Prospects Podcast. It's at Joe DeLeon if anybody wants to follow you on Twitter and and see what's going on with you and Ryan Roberts over there. Thanks so much, man.
2: Of course. Thanks for having me. I'll be sure to hop back on uh, after the draft. And uh, looking forward to seeing what the Texans do, and I'm sure they're going to have another great draft class like they did last year. Thanks,
1: Joe. Good stuff, man.
0: Hey, great stuff from Joe there, Sean. And I tell you, it, it's uh, coming up faster than you know. And I, I just want to get the suspense over with, like I said. What yeah. What are the Panthers going to do already?
1: Yeah, uh, and you know that that was that's the thing that you know starting to drive a lot of people crazy. And that's why I brought that up with uh, Joe. Is you know people were pointing on Friday, I think it was to the uh, Vegas odds lines, and I think it was Thursday actually. You know where uh, Stroud kind of came back up and. They were uh, co-favorites at like minus 195, according to Vegas. Well, just as soon as that story came out, like Thursday evening, uh, I think it was Stroud that overtook Bryce Young again. And, you know, it's like, oh, there must be some report out there. Vegas knows something. You and I always talk about that. How about just the money, you know? The the, the odds lines, the, the lines are moving because money's moving. And money at this point is going to move that more than any sort of information. I mean, just... The, the Tony Pauline piece that I referenced that came out Friday versus, you know, now this audio surfacing of McCown and what he'd said about Bryce Young. At this point, we've gone through everybody. So it's driving us all crazy. And in talking about it today with Clint Sterner, who I did the show with on Sports Radio 610, you know, he made a really good point. And he's like, you know, more times than not, it generally comes back to with how we started and what was the feeling when we started talking about the draft, who was the favorite? It was Bryce Young. You know, the I don't lie. You know, the guy's a baller. It's easy to identify. Um, And it maybe kind of contradicts what Joe said a little bit, or maybe you'd mentioned it, that there's no real clear favorite here. You know, there's no consensus, number one. Well, I thought for a short time, you know, right after the college football season ended, I know Stroud had the game that he did against Georgia, but I mean, felt like it was Bryce Young. And I think at the end of the day, unfortunately for the Texans, um, good for the Panthers, but it comes back down to Bryce Young. And the real question is for a Texans fan is, are you sold on C.J. Stroud? And if you're not, then maybe trading back is an option for you or, you know, selecting Will Anderson, you know, the impact player next to Bryce Young that people feel like is going to be of most importance and can make an immediate impact for their team in this league in 2023.
0: All right, I'm going to make some predictions, and I'm not going to predict players because I'm terrible at that, but I'm just going to make position predictions based on, I think, what Joe says, but also what my gut feeling was to begin with. I feel like the Texans are going to take a quarterback at number two, which that's not a major out on a limb type prediction, but let's go to number twelve. I, I I agree with Joe. I think it's going to be defensive end or defensive tackle. That's the that's the selection, position wise at number twelve. And then the first pick in the third round, my guess is they could go with wide receiver. Um, and and I'll hedge my bets a little bit. They could also go with somebody at the other position that they don't get either defensive tackle or defensive end, pass rusher type guy at that pick. And then in the third round, I I've said this all along and maybe I'm going to be wrong, but center 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 is going to be in the third round somewhere. And then with the other third round pick, that's the time where you can pick up the linebacker that they need to get opposite Christian Harris. They've already, you know, drafted one linebacker. They need to get another linebacker that can stop the run. It's a long-term guy. I mean, I know they've picked up some guys in free agency, but we need some long-term answer at linebacker and that's what i'm guessing for the first three rounds what do you think
1: uh, i'm gonna be it's gonna be pretty boring if you were looking for me to disagree with you um maybe i don't remember your first three picks but i think you'd mentioned quarterback edge receiver um and then who was your uh first uh your first pick in the third round what position
0: the, the third round I, I don't know who's going to be first but i think one of those picks oh, is you gonna said be center linebacker. Yeah, center and one pick is going to be – yeah, one and one linebacker.
1: I I can't disagree with that. And I think linebacker is going to be taken fairly high, you know, like in third round. Um, that's why I wanted to kind of get that last question in, you know, to uh, Joe because, you know, he was talking about secondary and things like that. And we'd already mentioned quarterback, receiver, and center um, and edge. I think those are the four most important positions to address for the Texans in this draft. Uh, but linebacker is going to be a big one as well because, you know, it is about the future. And a lot of these free agents that the Texans, hell, all the free agents except maybe a couple are here on one-year deals. And it is about getting the right guys in-house that can, you know, mentor and develop and push young players. And if you can get you a really good – um you know, linebacker in the third round, then I think that's an absolute win for the Texans if, in fact, they're able to address um, those needs that we were talking about. And this is playing if the draft is just dumb and boring and there's no movement. There's going to be movement. And the the key is trying to figure out exactly where, because I think at this point in time, Nick Casario and the Texans have 13 overall draft choices uh, heading into April 27th. It's not going to end at 13. It might end somewhere closer to like 9 or 10. Maybe I could see 11 max. There's going to be movement. There's going to be picks. Draft capital leveraged to move up. Is that going to be moving into the fifth round, into the fourth round, maybe back into the second round? I don't know. I just think there's going to be movement, and we're going to be, I think, at least from a positional need analysis standpoint, pretty satisfied with what the Texans did. In terms of the specific player, obviously, you know, that remains to be seen. But the first two, maybe three picks max in this draft, Robert, if it's the two ones and the one two, going to be pretty easy to kind of uh, grade out uh, initially because the names are there. It's just a question on whether or not the Texans are attached to uh, those guys when they're called by Roger Goodell.
0: I don't want to go into too much depth on the Rockets because the Silas news is not exactly news that Man, he is on.
1: If you want to, I've been hot on that crap all day, dude. I mean, I have been on fire with this Rockets thing. I know Silas ain't the story, but go ahead. I'll let you lead into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I to me, there's not much that's been this story. I mean, the all this stuff about Raphael Stone and what he's doing behind the scenes, that's been out there. You know, we've discussed that. I've talked about that with Frank. That's not news to us either. I think if if you're looking for the fact that it's finally out there, it's a good thing. I've, we've said it, me and Frank have said it pretty much for the last two months, especially Frank. I, I've let him go on about this. But look, Sean, uh, this is a make-or-break season for Rafael Stone coming up. Uh, his job is now 100% on the line. He delayed his own departure by keeping Silas an extra year. He delayed it at least a year. Now – it's all on him and the coaches that I'm hearing being rumored are good candidates, except maybe like a Scotty Brooks or a James Rego that excites literally nobody of the Rockets fan base. But most of the rest of these coaches are coaches that we've discussed, whether it's Frank Vogel or Nick nurse or Ime Udoka all, all, all these names are good names, Sean, but you better get it right. And yeah. you better get these moves in the off season right? Cause there's, there's some major stuff that they need to accomplish this off season to shore up this roster and to make this look like a real basketball team next
1: year. I don't know what you guys discuss on a regular basis in terms of these potential coaching candidates, um, hell, not potential anymore. They're coaching candidates, but, uh, in regards to Ime Odoka, I mean, you can scratch him off the list. As far as I'm concerned, I just don't think the Rockets would consider him, um, just given the situation that he's put himself in over the course of the last year being suspended because of that issue in Boston. Um, Frank Vogel, Scotty Brooks, I heard somebody mention Sam Cassell. I haven't seen it printed. I haven't seen it according to sources, but I would presume that his name pops up uh, somewhere along the lines. How serious of a candidate, I don't know, but obviously just because of the Rocket connection. Adrian Griffin, you know, Nick Nurse, I don't know if you mentioned him. I don't know how possible that is, but Um, because he still has one year remaining on his deal in Toronto. No,
0: no, no. Nick Nurse is like the number, I I would say at this point, he's the number one guy because as he he was with the Rockets uh, a decade ago, there is a relationship with some of the people in the Rockets organization. I mean, you look at the general manager, Rafael Stone, he has been here for a long time. He knew Nick Nurse. They have a relationship, number one. Number two, Nick Nurse has told Toronto that he is considering his future So you know he might not be in Toronto, and I think maybe his voice has run out in the room a little bit. He's been there as a head coach for five years. He's been in the organization for 10 years. Maybe just be looking that they're looking for a new voice. I would say Nick Nurse at the moment, and nobody's been interviewed yet. We have no, you know, anything except names maybe out there. But I would say Nick Nurse is number one. You know, M.A. Duke, I I cannot take out unless the Rockets – say he's not a candidate because this guy just went to the finals and I don't know what happened. And we still don't know what happened in reality. And and they would have to vet him. But let me just say, he's going to be out there for any team that's looking for a coach in this off season because he took a team to a finals. He's got Popovich roots. I mean, this guy is considered whatever you, whatever happened to him off the court, he's considered great on the court. And you know, the, the, what came out was very little. A year ago about what happened to him or a few months ago was very little. So we don't know much of the details other than he was in some sort of relationship consensual supposedly with somebody in the Celtics organization that they didn't seem, or they didn't deem appropriate.
1: Yeah. Um, And look, uh, I didn't know that little bit about nurse in terms of what he's vocalized to the Raptors about considering his options. So, I mean, that's good. And he would be, you know, maybe not number one for me, uh, maybe close. I have to think a little bit more about it. But a lot of these coaches do come from a pretty good, um, you know, background. They've worked with some really good guys like Adrian Griffin, for instance. I was looking back into his uh, history. You know, he's been Raptors assistant for five years. He's 48 years old. He's worked for five different organizations under nurse in Toronto. He's worked under Billy Donovan, Scott Skiles a couple of times, Tom Thibodeau, Um, you know, some really good coaches. And to me, um, you know, five coaches, over the course of his long, lengthy, um, you know, assistant coaching career.
0: Yeah, but here's the deal. When you say all that, you, you go me, oh, he, he he coached with all these great assistant coaches and all. We just did that. And Silas. And
1: really, if you ah, ask Come him- on. No, 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 no. Now, I, I get it. I get it. But you could talk about Silas all you want to. Um, he may never be a very good coach. He might just be like a really good uh, assistant coach. However, that guy was brought here on purpose to fail
0: well no it, at the time that he was hired I, I know
1: Martin was still here but they it, saw that coming down man
0: no I don't know if they did see that coming I don't know nah. that that is it's never been told that that it's never been it. out there that they, they did see that coming
1: and they did know it. It, that happened way way too fast man and I just I'm at the point the thing that made me you know I, I got a certain type of feeling about this article that came out in the athletics specifically because a lot of the stuff that should have been in there you know wasn't in there um because and then you know doubling down you know rafael stone how he managed to stand up there for 30 minutes today and you know not crack a smile and say a lot of this culture crap um you know talk this way about silas uh without you know uh, with, with keeping a straight face. I mean, it was laughable to me. I mean, he was set up to fail. And, you know, that part today where he's like, well, you know, the new coach is going to come in, unlike Stephen, you know, absolutely knowing the situation. Yeah, Steven might not have known everything that he was inheriting. Um, but the culture that existed before probably wasn't too far off from the culture that existed under Stephen Silas. And I find it really difficult to believe that you can blame Stephen Silas for the culture created more so than you can Rafael Stone, who didn't do any of the things that the Athletics cited that Rafael Stone needed from a head coach in that particular time. And I quote, I'll read you, this was the most damning line for me to Stone, a frustrated owner who's not afraid to make necessary changes. They know Tillman is not going to be in that position to make swift changes at this point in time. When's the last time you had a fired coach meet the next day with the general manager to talk about his firing general manager ain't going nowhere. That means Steve, uh, Rafael stone is going to be here to make franchise altering decisions and free agency lottery draft picks and hiring a new head coach. Where's the accountability for stone and for stone, Needing a head coach to inspire a young group of players to compete at a high level, to do so together and improve along the way. How much of that happened? And how much did he allow that to happen? Stopping practices, conniving behind the scenes, you know, calling uh, coaches' names in front of the players. Like, that's not a good culture. That's not somebody you're excited to work with every day. That's not somebody you want to take life lessons from. Maybe because. You know, I don't know what this says about Silas. I don't want to, you know, mischaracterize him, but I think you really liked him and you said all those things today in the press conference because he was an easy guy to step over. And that's what made me mad is because you manipulated that situation the way that you did. And you've cost a franchise, you know, three seasons, you know, of watchability, of likability, and respectability in this league.
0: Okay. Uh, let me, d- I got to say this because, and I've talked to Frank about this. There are two things that can be. Accurate at the same time. Silas was a terrible coach. He yeah, was awful, argue that. Not he not was awful, that. awful, awful. Like just as a head coach, he, yes, got walked over by Raphael Stone, but he let Raphael Stone walk over him and, and do the things that he did. And he didn't have to stick around. And I get it. Head coaching is good money. But you know what? If it was such a poisonous situation, you've been around the league for 20 years. Your dad's been around the league for – he was – In the NBA for 50 years or 60 years before he passed away, this is a guy that's a veteran of the NBA. If it was that poisonous, that was that bad, either you put your foot down or you walk out the door and you save face. So that's number one. Rafael Stone, no way I'm letting him off the hook. I haven't let him off the hook. Me and Frank have not let him off the hook for any of this stuff. You know, he he is he is absolutely a problem. Will what what I can say though is. You know, the first two years they they, they had to be bad. There, there's no question. I don't think this year they had to be bad. Although I understand it's two guys that could be franchise guys that you have at top of this draft that is not normal. That you have two guys that are this good at the top of a draft period. Like we're talking about Wemby, the best guy that everybody says since LeBron James in 20 years. But let me point this out: this year was a travesty, and 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 you had to look like a, a decent franchise and. As I have said numerous times, you have impeded the progress. You have slowed down the progress of all of these guys, and I don't know what the damage that you have done long-term to a Jalen Green or some of these other first-round picks has been, especially Jalen Green. That's the one that I'm really concerned about. Javari Smith, one year, I don't think the damage is going to be major, and I think he's got such high character. But Jalen Green, there's no doubt I'm very concerned about. But um, as far as the big picture is concerned, he can make up for all of this with a good head coach hire pretty quickly because they weren't going to win the championship this year. We all know that. If they get lucky and they get one of these one-two picks, boom, it all changes in a heartbeat. You get one of these guys at one-two and you hire a D'Amico Ryan's type guy that gets the whole city excited or that can change the course of things. It could all change overnight. And, you know, it doesn't, to me, do any favors for him, what he's done for Stephen what he did to Steven Silas. I am not a big fan of Rafael Stone as a human being and the way he's handled all of this. However, he can change a lot of the narrative around really, really quickly. And we'll see if he does. But that's well, by I'm I'm
1: making the decision. But you know, what's really going to change is the coach and the staff that come in. They're going to change the culture. Rafael's not going to change the culture. He can help by staying the hell out of the way. Um, And I think if you're going to get a top tier coach in the NBA, that's absolutely what's going to have to happen. Um, And and so I won't disagree with you there, but the new coach, whoever that is, is going to be charged with changing a lot and undertaking a lot and having to say so in terms of free agency acquisitions, spending, having the ability to spend the most money in free agency that you've had in almost a handful of years. You know, that's going to be on the coach. That's going to be on the staff. With Rafael's input, certainly. You and I talked about this the other night, I think. You know, there's there's no real damning aspect in terms of Rafael and his ability to identify and evaluate talent, but that's only part of the job.
0: I, I disagree. I don't know how well he is at identifying talent because Look, Jabari and Jalen, those were easy. Th- th- those were everybody's consensus at the top of the draft.
1: I, I would agree with that. How many general managers wouldn't have made those picks? But it's all, you know, Shingoon, it's 16. You know, the ability to create more draft capital. What are they going to have? Like seven, eight, eight first round picks from now until 2029. You know, something like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, but here's the deal. Everybody talks about the Brooklyn picks and, oh, they did a good job with the Brooklyn picks. Well, the fact that they still are in charge of those Brooklyn picks. And this is like the time you got to get rid of them. If if they don't get something out of those Brooklyn picks pretty quick, because to me, it's a mistake just to hold on to them and we're going to draft them because you you can't just keep drafting high first round picks or first round picks. You can't just keep doing that forever. You got to, you're going to have to start paying these guys and you really need to start trading these this These assets, and while they're still assets to get veterans in, which is something that I've said all along. But look, I, Rafael Stone, there, I have said all along, he's just as much the problem as Silas because I have said all along that Silas is a terrible coach and he has impeded this this group of guys. He, he's made some big mistakes, I think, in how he's handled guys. There's been no accountability by him. It could be part Rafael Stone. But if Stone was getting in his way, like I said, he should have gotten out of the way. And 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 the bottom line with the Rockets right now is, like I said, Rafael Stone, this offseason, biggest offseason in, in in Rockets history in the last probably ten years. Okay, uh, yeah. literally in the last ten years, uh, this is and the I, I
1: think uh, I you know I, I fully agree with that. It's it's a make or break. Um, but you should be nervous that Stone is the one orchestrating this whole thing. Of course. And I I just I don't trust him. I don't think you should trust him. And not even just that, you know, uh, somebody made the analogy, you know, this is, you know, kind of like uh, firing Lovey Smith, but keeping Easterby around. You know, I would I would contend that this is like firing Lovey Smith, but the very worst possible version of Nick Casario that you all thought was possible is and Jack Easterby still in the building. You know, that's the way that I view this Rocket situation right now. And, oh, by the way, the owner, you know, who, um, you know, isn't afraid to make swift decisions, who's frustrated, frustrated, I, I haven't seen it. I'll believe it when I see it. He should be frustrated. He should be willing to make a change, you know, at the drop of a hat. And I think today the press conference with Rafael Stone didn't help his case i think it really hurt it if you understand what's going on if you can just read between the lines even the slightest little bit but even looking at it on face value he had an entire year to prepare for the easiest question today that he was lobbed from adam spolane who said why did you feel the need to move on from steven silas and he juggled that one more than the freaking circus clown had no idea how to answer that it was ridiculous and he did that a number of times today, He just stumbled and stuttered around simple questions that he had a year to prepare for when he knew his team was going to stink. They tanked on purpose and they knew the direction of this team and they knew they were going to have to answer these tough questions. And that's not the general manager that I want running my organization, creating poor culture, not answering simple questions. And you know what? Being credited, and I'm I'm guilty of it too, with making a decision that 29 other general managers in the NBA probably would have made for you with their eyes closed over the course of the last two years. So I'm I'm worried about it. I just don't think it's a great situation still for the Rockets moving forward, even though they're obviously, um, you know, turning the page, as Stone put it today, moving to the next stage of this rebuild or whatever. Um, I just I hope for the best of the organization, because to be quite honest with you, I know there's a lot of red rowdies and like rocket truthers out there and people that just bleed rocket red still. I used to be that way. But what happened, what's happened to this organization the last three years, they become unwatchable, unlikable, um, very much like you know, passionate football fans feel about the Texans in this town. That's what they've done. And they've affected my NBA, you know, watching too. It's like, what am I going to watch the rest of the league for? It's kind of like I've put them way on the back burner. I want my basketball team back. I want, I want to like the players. I want to like my team. I miss them. And I just hope, you know, they kind of get back in the, um, you know, going in the right direction. I think for the Texans to make a comparison quickly, what they've done with their head coach, their staff, and you know, kind well, of well, Sean, hold on right
0: there. I went, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, 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 you just said everything you said about Rafael Stone, which you could have said the exact same thing about Nick Casario until a few months ago when they got D'Amico Ryans, and now we potentially could get a quarterback that everybody's excited about a top two. If you get a top two guy and you get a head coach, this is these situations. Let me just be clear to everybody out there. Because you sound like you have some real venom against the Rockets, but this is exactly where the Texans were a few months ago. And that's my point. I was just making
1: that point. (laughs) I was just making that point. And if the Rockets can go the Texans route and handle this the way that they they, they have. But you know what? Like, don't expect Rafael Stone to sound or say, you know, and, you know, words are cheap. Actions are, uh, you know, where it's at. But Nick Casario, and it... (laughs)
0: He was terrible too. It was awful. He's been awful at press conferences. He's
1: like, Hey, you know what? If I need to take a step back, you know, depending on who this head coach is, I need to take a step back or I need to do this, you know, figure out a way to work things. And, you know, basically pandering for his job, you know, to Cal McNair, Hannah McNair, who's really taking the reins of this thing with the Texans um, saying, Hey, if I need to move out of the way, or if I'm not, no, if I'm no longer needed here, fine. I don't ever expect Rafael Stone to say that, you know, uh, to be that deprecating. Um, But that's well, exactly I, what needs to happen. He needs I, to get the hell out of the way. And I think he will. I think he will when a proven head coach candidate takes this job, uh, who is going to be much more prepared with a staff to handle the situation than Steven Silas ever was.
0: Yeah. And and you just said it. It's it's about Tillman basically not putting the fear of God in him. And that's why yes. he felt like he didn't have to get up there and say that. Whereas Nick Casario did, and frankly, I I don't know I don't know w- when Nick Casario's job is actually going to be secure. It's we're a year from now, a few months from now, maybe a couple of months from now, maybe a month from now, we could be talking about Nick, the Texans moving on from Nick Casario because I don't think that relationship is all of that on solid footing after what he said at the press conference a few months ago.
1: Yeah, it, it comes down to the draft, right? I mean, this is a major draft for Nick Casario, and and you're right. I mean, the similarities are, are very in-your-face between these two organizations. You know, there are franchise-altering decisions that both of these general managers are going to have to make here in the short, uh, you know, upcoming months, weeks, you know, for the Texans particularly. But Casario can extend, you know, this – uh, you know, time in Houston. I don't want to say honeymoon. The honeymoon's been long over with, you know, it's over with with Miko now. I mean, it's business now. Um, But he can certainly extend, I guess, the good graces that he's kind of gotten back into with Texan fans with a good draft. You know, we were talking about today, like if the Texans don't take a quarterback at number two, if they trade out of the number two pick, doesn't matter what you do after that. Whoever they pick that's not named Anthony Richardson with their first pick at some point in this draft, if it's not Will Anderson, they're going to get booed, just like J.J. Watt got booed in 2011. It's going to happen. And that ain't a good start. That ain't a good start to the most pivotal draft in franchise history for Nick Casario and the Texans. And I don't think that's going to happen, but, you know, we got to wait and see. And just like I think Rafael Stone, you don't get Wimby, you don't get Scoot. Was it worth it? You know, the the rebuild when you're dealing with 15 freaking dudes, that you got to outfit every single night on a basketball team. Did it take three years for you to figure that out? You know, it, you're going to tank for a 14% chance of getting a generational talent. If it doesn't work out and you don't get one of those two guys, was it worth it? And then Rafael Stone's butt should be on the chopping block.
0: Yeah, I, look the odds are they're not getting wimby it's an 86 percent chance and and so it it comes down I, i've said it all along it comes down to what they do in the off season and you know when that doesn't happen when the balls don't drop their way and they don't get victor Wembanyama, this is where rafael stone we're gonna see if he really knows what he's doing or he doesn't because they're gonna have to start trading some draft picks for some veterans you know if james harden is not the answer but for some people they're going to say James Harden's the answer. They'll get excited if James Harden is coming to Houston. I'm not, you know, we've said it over and over again you and I, Frank, we've all said that 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 would be terrible. But he's got all of these draft choices to play with. These Brooklyn picks, uh some picks of his own. He's going to have to start wheeling and dealing. He's going to have to figure out who should stay and who should go and you start, you know, putting that into something and building together a team and if you get the right head coach in, it changes everything. And look, I I I've said this over and over and over again. As bad as Rafael Stone has been, you bring in a really good point guard with the group of guys that are on this roster already, and a coach that can actually knows what he's doing and knows how to coach, and take and, and these guys start taking it seriously instead of Club Med, which is what it's been there. These guys not you know really wanting to play defense and you know kind of putting in what I would consider half effort. Whatever they say, I to me it looks like half effort. It's 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 crap. But if if that changes. That that can change overnight, and it can change overnight how these guys look. You know, dif- defense is number one, two, and three of the problem with the Rockets, and and most of that is effort, but a lot of that is where these guys are on the court, and both of that can be changed with one head coach. And same thing with D'Amico Ryan's, same deal. This the the these organizations we keep talking about, it, they're almost identical at this point, and, and we'll see are, who if any if either one of them have got it anywhere close to right in the next few months, because this is critical,
1: I'll critical. Say, I'll just say this, you know, Rafael Stone, whenever he took that general manager job, uh, you know, people were talking about ah, you know, who the hell is Rafael Stone? Well, you know, he's actually a guy that worked really hard behind the scenes and was way more integral, you know, with Daryl Morey as a GM, never got a lot of the credit, but put a lot of these deals together, you know, evaluated the talent, you know, got these guys in relationships, da 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 whatever, Sure, he's a lawyer, helped orchestrate the sell of the franchise, you know, for for Tillman. Okay, great. Probably part of the probably the reason why he's still here, and maybe Tillman's so in on this whole thing with Rafael. I don't know, which again is bad news. But now's the time to prove it. All right. How valuable were you actually behind Daryl Morey? Now you're the dude. And you know what you don't have practice with over the course of the last three years, Rafael? It's working with a head coach and a staff to a common goal. You know, like, is it going to be Nick Nurse, Scotty Brooks, whoever, Sam Cassell? Like, if it's going to be a guy that's kind of been there, done that before, they're not going to take your crap, You're meddling. He doesn't know how to not meddle. He doesn't know how to work productively, you know, towards a common goal with a coach, a real coach, and a real staff that is trying to win with, you know, actual veteran players in here that aren't disgruntled, not named Eric Gordon, that you're going to go out and get with your $60 million this offseason, they're not going to sit around and take this crap either. They're going to look at it just like John Wall did when he was here. I just want to ball out, and I want to win. And when you're not doing those things and you're standing in the way, that's going to be a problem. And I don't want to wait to get to that point to where it becomes a problem. He's either going to have to figure it out, flip the light switch, which I think he thinks he's going to do here, But it's, again, a wait and see. I just, I think you need a really good coach to come in here, command a room, command young men. And, you know, I got a couple of favorites in mind. I'm anxious to be talking about that here in the coming days and weeks to see who you think um, is the best fit here. But um, I just, I hope, I hope whoever it is, can take charge of not just that room, that locker room and the guys on the court, but take a little bit of charge of uh, the front office as well. And at least who he's not going to let step over them.
0: Yeah. I mean, we agree on this for sure. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. You and I di- didn't talk any Astros, but we'll get back to Astros in our next show. And, uh, what's going on with them? But, man, it's boy, it's a big, big next few weeks for both of these franchises. I, I I keep saying it, but I can't stress it enough. This is, like, about the future of two sports in this town and whether people start caring about them or they don't. And, you know, you said, what are Texans fans going to think if they don't take Bryce Young or, or C.J. Stroud? Or at least I think that's what you said. If I want to narrow it down well, I don't even think I don't think Will Anderson's going to be enough. I, I think it's got to be a quarterback. I'm just it's saying I
1: don't think they would boo him at two if they do pick him.
0: No, I, well, I, I I don't think the fans are happy at all with Will Anderson. I don't. I think it's a, it's quarterback or bust. If if you don't get Bryce or CJ, I don't think the fans are really pumped up about any of these other guys. And I I think it's it's going to be a bad look. And and I know that the owner of the Texans, Cal McNair really feels like, you know, he's trying to get the fan base back and he's doing everything in his power. And he knows if he doesn't get Mm -hmm. one of those two quarterbacks, it's going to be really hard to get anybody into that building. If you don't have a quarterback that people are excited about after what's happened the last two years, it's going to be hell to pay with this fan base.
1: And get excited about Anthony Richardson.
0: I I, I just don't know if people are going to be excited about a guy that's played 10 or 11. You know, this is, we're back into Davis Mills territory, to be honest <laughs> with
1: you. I get what you're saying, but um, I so it's a the, long the, the the conversation. T- Do Texans I, fans, Texans fans want
0: to wait for another three-year project? Do they?
1: No, 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 no. But, you know, who's to say you have to? You know, it's based on what we think we know now, which is usually at the end of the day, not very much. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs>
0: we'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a good one.
1: You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
0: Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.